It's time for a change. Strap your headphones on and join Chris, Scott, and Sean. Three active duty police officers in the Chicago suburbs. As they face the tough subjects, including police brutality, racial tension, rioting, and more. Weekly, you'll get tips and tricks on how to keep you and your family safe, what to do during traffic stops, how to handle domestic violence, and more. This This is a show about about opening a dialogue, accepting that something has to be done, and bringing communities together together again. again. And now your hosts, Chris, Scott, and Sean. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Three Cops Talk. This is Sean, one of your hosts. Hi. I'm back with Uncle Chris. Hey, what's up? And Sergeant Scott. Hello. Sergeant Scott. Hey, it's, uh, you know, another show we're going to talk about here today. Um, we're going to get into some things that are, are really problematic in the process here. You know, we've talked about a lot in the past about mental health related issues and some of the cyclical problems that are created from them. You know, we've talked about the history of it, how we've gotten to where we are in law enforcement as a society when dealing with mental health related issues. And then, <clears throat> how now it's impacted by incarceration rates. People are talking about, oh, we need to lock these people up. We need to lock these people up. So we've brought back a previous guest, our show therapist, uh, <laughs> Melissa Williver, who's a great so sport, and we love having her. We're talking about some of the no issues. Copay. To, no copay. Um, no copay. <laughs> no copay. No copay. Sliding scale. Um, sliding scale. <laughs> bottle bottle see, of wine. Like I said, folks, I got you. I got great you. sport. Um, to talk about some of these issues, she's got some acumen in it, and it's been like always – as a cop, you kind of go about your business. You do like, all right, this is a mental health related call. This person gets incarcerated and then we either take them to county, uh, we release them from our jail or they end up going to county and staying there and then they're charged and they go to, you know, big boy prison, you know, the adult prison. Long term. Long term. Long term care. Right. Um, <laughs> not getting the care that they need. And, um, and no copay. Right. Yeah, right. In, in, a, in a system, in a process that's very unforgiving, you know, where you would normally have folks that would be in sanitariums where they're there with people that are really more suited towards, you know, treatment and, you know, dealing with those issues than, you know, incarceration. Um, and we're going to talk about that a little bit because it, it is a problem and it is an issue that I don't think people, quite a few people understand, particularly cops. And we're going to talk about some of the things related to what are the common themes of, you know, diagnosis that therapists like Melissa see for people that now get put into the system and then how it manifests itself into other things. And then perhaps maybe some of the things we think we could possibly do better, or is there really nothing we can do about it under these current conditions? So people need to understand because when you're dealing with the standard subject, there are some expectations that go on between the police and a, what we can assume to be a formal, fully normally functioning person. Am I correct in saying that guys like, Hey, if I ask you to put your hands up, I want you to put your hands up. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I want you to keep your hands where I can see them, or I want you to step out of the car. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. There's a normal expectation, particularly under the law, that we can kind of act. Right. And just everyday behavior. Right. 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 And we talked about that with uh, Stefan in the show about autism, some of the things along those lines. And these things are becoming so prevalent that it's becoming really, really difficult under the stress of a moment like that to analyze you know, catalog and then did we do what was right and did it need to lead to the level of force that we used and things like that. Officers are also not, shouldn't be putting themselves at unnecessary risk because they have to analyze something that takes years for professionals, uh, you know, to diagnose and maybe get it wrong and fix it and go back where we have, you know, 15 seconds of terror to figure out what we've got to do to get through it. Right. Well, and I think, you know, the, the big part is like we talk about on the show all the time is people taking their responsibility and their part. And we're going to get this, get into it later in the show that, you know, there are people in the system that 
you know, have severe mental health issues that the state or the, the penal system doesn't address. I mean, there's been how many, I mean, I don't even know really how many sanitariums we have left or, or what would you call it? The in, in-house stays where people are, what like do you call inpatient, them? inpatient, like where they have to mm-hmm. stay for so, you know, or whatever. And they're just being cut loose and then we have to deal with it. And I think people have a misconception of, of what we deal with. Yeah, I think the system is set up to try to do that. I, I honestly think along along the way, just like we can't live in this vacuum. Like we only think cops are trying to do what's right in this process. There are people all across the board in the prison system that are trying to deal with what we've got, what we've been given, and the resources we've been given to do it. And, you know, the longer we don't understand this entire process and the criminal justice process and how that mental health, you know, world intersects with us more, the longer we're going to be dealing with this bad press for police officers, uh, people that really need help in other ways other than incarceration or maybe through incarceration, but better treatment while incarcerated, we're going to continue to see these problems. And we've all seen it. We've all seen it with people that we've dealt with over the years, the same. And I mean like the literal same people that we've dealt with over the years that you've maybe arrested them at some point, you know, that they've had mental health problems. They, maybe go and do a stint, you know, away locked up somewhere. I don't know what kind of treatment or help that they're getting. And then you encounter them again later, you know, months, years, whatever later. Right. And, and it seems like, wow, I mean, it doesn't seem like they're in a better place than they were before. So, you, you know, and we don't really, I mean, from us as frontline people, you really don't, I don't know very much at all about what kind of things are offered to people in that system. So that's why I was interested to hear some about that. Right. Well, I can speak from the juvenile side of it. I worked mm-hmm. in juvenile corrections for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. There is a great deal of services that are available and offered to these individuals. Unfortunately, some of the times they come in and the first time they're diagnosed is when they are sitting across from us at that table when we're going through the intake assessment and they're being brought into the facility. Right. You know, they don't, so it's not, saying, it's not a relaxed situation that they're no. coming in for that initial encounter. No. So they've been arrested and if they're juvenile that has actually made it to the prison process means if that they've, they've made it to us, mm-hmm. it's not good. Right. Right. And that, and generally it means that the system has either done something inappropriately or they have been in the system so many times that it's gotten to the point where now you have to be incarcerated as a juvenile. Well, because right? sometimes they burn bridges. You know, you can be rerouted so many times where they'll go in and they'll stand in front of a judge and the judge will recognize, well, maybe this is a substance abuse issue or, you know, maybe your parents aren't so great. So let's try this option and they'll go to residential or they'll go to maybe an inpatient program, but then they get out of those programs and they start doing the same thing. So after so many times of trying to be redirected so that it's not just a one and done, we're going to, you know, you're going to be docked. Eventually, right. they find their way there. Right. There's been a lot of things that have fallen apart along the way, mm-hmm. and now here they uh, are. Maybe we help. Stuff. Maybe you guys can talk about it, particularly because you're still in the same state. And I'm learning the rules down here in South Carolina. Is that how the juvenile justice system differs? Uh, so you can understand the impact of what uh, Melissa's saying about by the time somebody gets to her when she was working in the juvenile justice process. So it's different than the standard arrest procedures and what right. we do with a kid on the street. And there's a, a big issue going on in Chicago right now involving a 13 year old kid that's mm-hmm. getting national and international attention about what had happened to the tragedy of that incident across the board. I'm not making comments about how this is going to be adjudicated or whatever, but you're dealing with a 13 year old boy. And if you watch that video, 
it's gut-wrenching. You have to find videos of, you know, people dying in combat to get the same effect out of that. Right. You know, you know, whether you feel the officer did what was right or not, I'm not here to debate that with you right now. The facts need to be tried. I have my opinions on that and I'm not here to express them. What I am talking about is that that was a 13 year old boy. Right. That's and, what he was. He's defined as a boy and, and how that system works and how somebody can get to that point. And then how do they finally get to Melissa and her folks in the prison system? Chris, you want to talk a little bit about that, how that works? Well, I want to. So first and foremost, I mean, the juvenile system, the arrest procedures and stuff are totally different. You know, you only you can only hold them for 10 hours. You have to get so many points. Now, I'm not a juvenile juvenile officer, but, you know, there's there's a big process or a major process you have to go through to get somebody detained in juvenile hall. Prior to that, there there's things that you can do in-house station adjustment, you know, letters or forgiveness or whatever. So it basically you get dispatched to a call as a cop and the call is, let's say some sort of a call, criminal damage to property, right. fighting, you know, aggravated battery, whatever. Right. Generally what happens is if the person's new to the system, meaning like our system, the criminal justice system, we can take them into custody if they're over the age of now, is it 11 or 10? What I think is it's it? 10. I mean, it used to be 10. Yeah, okay. 10. Um, 10 years old and over that you can be put in handcuffs, taken in a car. Yeah, right. Parents need to be, or the guardian needs to be notified as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. They come to our station. They go through a similar process, but they're isolated from any adults or anything like that. When they're bringing their extra care, is taken to take care of them, get them isolated, and get them out back to their guardian as quickly as possible. People are like, well, what's going to happen with him? He just beat the crap out of my son to the point where my kid had to go to an ambulance. Right. And we're like, he's going to be released to his guardians tonight. People can't believe that. Yeah, they can't believe that that's how the hours, system right? works. Right back to the I parents. firmly believe that's still the best way to do it. I mean, whether you like it or not, I think that's still the best way to do it because the younger you are, the likely are you to not understand the magnitude of it. And with all these factors that affect kids in society now, these violent video games and things like that, uh, what they see on television and then what they got told to them in classrooms completely, like oftentimes conflict with each other as to what sells and what is valuable and what is not. A kid has to, basically when I say kid, a juvenile, somebody under the age of 18, right? Mm -hmm. has to yeah, 17 or 18 now or whatever it has to do a significant amount of things or a significant enough crime to actually be taken and put into juvenile custody right for vast majority of what happens they're released back to their parents am i wrong in saying that yeah no, and it Chris? no and it's and it's designed to not just put them in jail right off the bat it's right. it's right. it's designed to have those things in place to try to have some intervention you know a system of intervening and maybe when those problems are starting to develop, to do to to assess each one of those incidents. Right. Well, let's let's let let's take a step by step then. So, he gets arrested and released. What's, right. What but, happens well, next? Right. So then, what happens happens next? So he gets released, and you got to be a good boy and go to court. Is there any like he has to do this or has to do that or they just get go? I mean, to, to my knowledge, they go back and then the juvenile follows up later. The juvenile, when he means a juvenile, the juvenile follows up with a juvenile certified police officer. That's correct. That will will deal with that. Like in juvenile certified officers are ones that work in schools. There are juvenile detectives. They've been rolled into you know their own departments or their own divisions of investigations, things like that. Officers can be certified as juvenile officers in the street to know how the juvenile procedure works. And generally, the first step, and if I remember correctly, and, and again, we can get a juvenile, we can do a whole show. Yeah, on juvenile yeah, you're, you're, they're arrested, and then they do. A, they, they all right. They go home with your parents. With their, We're going to contact hours. you. A juvenile certified officer, or detective is going to follow up with you. They come in, they interview the kid, they talk to him about what's going on. The kid has the same rights as everybody else and guardianship and everything else. But usually, it manifests itself in like, hey, it's the first time you've ever done this. You have to do a station adjustment, is what they call it. So right. It's like a restorative justice type thing or just it's a contract that you sign with whomever yeah, like, to your good boy or good girl this i have to do some I community service room. i have to show that yeah, i did some this. community you know, service 
Okay, right. so what I so therapy. Right. But yeah. here's the thing. So with this with those okay, so they're not mandated to do it. It's a station adjustment. Okay. So they have to do it so they get the charges dropped or whatever. And again, this is a whole juvenile thing. But if they don't, they just do I mean they just get points. And these points build up. Or they get rearrested or whatever. I mean, I just like for me, here here's the way I look at it. Like it when when I was a kid and I didn't do something I was told, all right? Your dad had his own point system. Yeah, there was a, there, it was a five-knuckle point system. <laughs> and guess what? A uh, belt. Yeah, I never did that again. And now I'm, I'm not saying whatever. I don't want to get into the He's not endorsing that. Yeah. He's not You're endorsing not that. Corporal. Right. But all I'm going to say is the rank never, of corporal, yeah. corporal punishment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never spent a day in jail. But again, okay, so moving along. But that was my that was my upbringing and i never did it again i never spent a day in jail and stuff like that but when this happens is there any follow-up or what just for like the bad parenting i think that is something that at some point it needs to be decided whether or not dcfs needs to be involved because otherwise who's following up with the parent other than I mean, if the kid is on parole or probation then they'll have an officer go to the house and visit if dcfs will go back to the visit if there's part of that station adjustment is therapy, then the therapist will follow up with the parents. Right. But if none of that happens, then. Right. Right. And, and, and again, and Sean, I mean, you know, you said that, you know, you think it's the right thing to do for them to go back to the parents. And, and, and I, would, I would have to say to take that on a case by case basis, because some, they, they just don't care or whatever, so, or yeah, you, you know, sometimes you do have to get hit in the face. And I don't mean it literally or figuratively, but you do have to, you, you, you do have to realize there's consequences for your actions. But but again, to kind of just say like, hey, we're going to turn these kids over to the system. The system that doesn't even serve adults right. I mean, the recidivism in our state is crazy or your state or whatever in the country. Recidivism is crazy. So like I, I feel that turning a kid back over to his parents, if there's the proper structure there, like you're talking about a situation exactly. Christian, you, like most of us lived in. Right. Like you're taking a kid that's getting in that kind of trouble. You're returning him to someone that maybe to a certain degree, maybe only 15 years older than that kid. If that, you know, right. like, I mean, like, uh, like, or the dad's there, or there's somebody that's an authoritarian, uh, you know, figure in their life on that level. We're talking about the point where people are getting ready to go to prison and see Melissa for treatment. Those folks have been in the system a while. Yeah. They've right. done. Well, and, yeah, it's either, it's either been, it's either been a progression of events right. or potentially one significant one event to basically sum it up yeah it's 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 either been a progression of several events that have led to them now coming to you or maybe one significant event that just it right. just went one thing so chris chris was on a station adjustment for tax evasion because <laughs> he, he, he ran a snowplow company where the kids he was shaving money off the top of paying taxes to the state like, what kind of a station adjustment do you do for that this is you under the <laughs> <laughs> they make you a page for Anything the actual politicians right <laughs> So when Melissa, when they come, when when it gets to you and your involvement in that, and I mean this probably seems like a dumb question, but obviously, how you handle those situations, I mean those the 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 juveniles that are coming to you is is obviously different than maybe you're handling some adult things, or is there a lot of similarities that are there? And when you're making those initial assessments of people, I have I have never had to work on the adult end of things. Yeah. Oh, I mean just in your professional experience of dealing with adults versus juveniles. Oh, in private practice? <laughs> I don't need, that's like apples and oranges. <laughs> that's like apples and kumquats. They're so, so different. different yeah. Yeah. There's always an initial assessment, right. whether it's 
a kid coming into the facility or it's a client coming into my office, there's always an initial assessment. Mm-hmm. But after that point, it's very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so to get to try and fix this, I mean, what? And again, this is a whole. I don't even know what the right answer is. But if this kid starts. Because we all know, I mean, uh, to, to me, I mean, you're a product of your environment. And if this kid starts doing this at, a, at that age, why wouldn't they mandate some type of therapy? Like you have to go and get the assessment and then follow up with, you know, the parents probably need to get some too. I, that's an excellent question. You know, I mean, is it not funded? Is it not? I mean, again, to me, I'm a pro- I, I find a problem. I try and fix it. That's just. That's my whole mindset, and I see this, and it, and to me, it looks like it's a problem that could be significant, significantly reduced by some common sense approach. And I think you know, by having these issues and stuff, mandate therapy for the parents and the kids to start there to find out why they can't control this kid or whatever. Well, I can tell you that family therapy is always part of the deal when they're incarcerated, and when they're in there. By the way, we can't use that word. You have to use much gentler verbiage, but it's like custody suite, something like that. They're just residing with us temporarily. Temporary housing. Temporary housing. Family therapy, individual therapy, group therapy. It's all part of their plan. They get all of it. They go to school. They have a counselor there. They have a therapist there. We, the therapists, are held accountable for how many hours they are in group therapy, in individual therapy, how many contacts we've had with the parents. All of that responsibility falls on us. The the youths aren't often really held accountable for that. There are not really consequences. Is there a set minimum for some of that stuff, or is it case by case? Oh, God, now you're asking me to go way back (laughs) and remember these things. What I remember, and this could be wrong, at least once a week, we had to try to have parent contact. Outside of that once a week of family therapy, there were hours of individual therapy and group therapy. Mm. Hours. And if they were in there and they had any kind of substance abuse, that was its own wing of our facility, was the substance abuse wing, where they were in substance abuse counseling and treatment for the better part of the day in between going to school. Did you find that this was, you know, like some people just think it's bad behavior, it's just bad behavior. Did you find that it was bad behavior? Part of it, like how break down the diagnosis that you you would see of people like, were they serious, legitimate mental issues? Was it about the same? Was it even, was it bad kids, kids making bad decisions? So much trauma, so much trauma. Mm -hmm. Not a single one of these kids came to us that didn't have some sort of abuse, neglect, adverse childhood experience, not a single one of them. And now on top of it, they're incarcerated or they've been through. Oh my God. Why is it leaving me now? It's because I'm drunk. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) She's honest, which is nice. I'm just just kidding. Honest. It's good. They've been through DCFS. Right. You know, and that's gone through that whole process. Right. Yes. Or they're, uh, they're, it's just kind of like layers of trauma. There's, mm-hmm. you know, we've also had kids come in, lots of bipolar, unmedicated bipolar disorder. Right. Hmm. At that age, we're not allowed. It's, you can't diagnose someone under the age of 18 with a personality disorder. So we just right. call it traits. They have 
traits of borderline personality disorder. They have traits of antisocial disorder. And so you we, can't treat it like what? Well, we do treat it, but you just it can't just call can't it be that a formal officially. diagnosis until oh they're eighteen Why years is old. Why? Because mm-hmm. they're not fully developed. Oh, okay. Makes sense. We don't so really you, see, know you don't if see that as a weakness of, of the system. I'm sorry. You, you see that you don't see that as a weakness of the system. You see that as kind of valuable. That absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think the treatment that is provided, and again, I can only speak to the juvenile side of it, but I think the options that are available to them and the treatment that is provided is pretty stellar. I have a lot of colleagues that still work for the department of juvenile justice and they take their jobs very seriously. They get very connected to these kids and we would do just about anything to help them recover, feel better, gain confidence, have resources when they leave the facilities so that they don't come back. I don't think it's a stretch to say, like, we love these kids. Yeah, I love you, mm-hmm. but I don't ever want to see you again. <laughs> I don't want to see you again. <laughs> right, I don't want right, you to come back right. my way through here. Because right, right, this right. is not the place that you want to be. Yeah. Right. right. Do you have, do you ever, does anybody ever have that where these kids want to like, continue on with that and it has to kind of hey we have to move on from this kind of thing i would imagine that's probably difficult right we have kids that will call the facility and we have to document everything sure they call the facility to talk to us because sometimes that's the facility that's the family they have sure we are the only right. structure that they have the, structure, right? the only structure they have right, right, right. and you know you're doing your job when you're somebody's wife somebody's sister because right. they make us their family yeah get don't talk to whoever that's my wife <laughs> right whoa right 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 do you and do you think a majority of that helps do you see more positive out of that or like repeat offenders like do they get it in terms of what in other words like they don't come back to juvenile hall i wish that were the case okay where they don't come back so they go but back usually they come back okay because of their they you know they're good they have the structure there but then when they leave the structure just kind of goes away no structure there's okay. safety right we're safe they know they're going to eat they know they're going to have a place to sleep. They know they're not going to be molested, assaulted. So it's almost trafficked. like it's almost like juvenile jail is better for them in Sometimes. a way. As disturbing Sometimes. as that sounds, yeah. yeah it's just going to say it it's disturbing. Yeah, incredibly disturbing. But it's that's, like your safe place. It's a safe safe space. Huh. They know. So everybody. did you find that when you talked about the bipolar and then the addiction and then the trauma? Did one obviously one would create the other? Obviously, right? It's one, just like, yeah. yeah it the just trauma, kind of cope becomes this, a cycle. A strong structure. I use narcotics. Mm-hmm. Lots yeah. of self-medicating. Oh, I'm sure. Do you think the? Do you think the? I feel like over the course of our career, there's seems to be a lot more juveniles that are diagnosed with those types of things. Do you think it's just that they weren't recognized as much as they were 20 years ago, or is it that there's just it's higher frequency? I think they weren't recognized. I can't tell you how many adult clients I have today. That will come in like, no, this is just new anxiety. This is something isn't something that I've I've had or that I you know I was fine as a kid. But then they start talking about all the stomach aches they would have, or all the headaches that they would have, or all the times they would be sick and they couldn't go to school. That's anxiety. Yeah, yeah. But it just wasn't recognized or acknowledged, and it becomes a bigger thing, right? Because you now you're an adult and you've never had the opportunity to. Even validate that it's a real thing. 
Yeah. Well, this is just how I feel. I just have to get over it and move past it. Do you think it's and you know I'm going to tell I'm going to tell a funny story, but it's it's it it, it kind of relates to this. Do you think it's because parents don't recognize? Because we had a, I had a friend of mine, um, his parents came over from Italy and stuff, and he had a parent teacher conference on Friday. I think I told the story before, and the teacher's like says, "Hey, you know this guy, you know he's got ADHD or something, and and broken Italian." Uh, the the teacher was going to send him to for some type of assessment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in very broken English, you know, the dad said, don't worry, it'll be cured by Monday. And sure enough, Monday morning shows up and there's my buddy sitting in the seat, stellar as, you know, stellar as all can be. And, as you know, as, as funny as the story is, that do you think it's because parents don't recognize it or they don't follow up or they don't, they just think that, you there's know, a stigma there's a stigma with associated it. with it? I would like and to select option D, name. all of the above. <laughs> Oh my god! I keep kicking the table, Sean. You can't see it, but I've rammed my knee into totally, this table about eight hundred and ninety-four times. It's okay. It's okay. It's um, all right. No coping. You know, I mean, like, the, and you got the, the the combination of things there too. It's it's like parents feel that you know, depending upon culturally and things like well, that. Like, yeah, hey, definitely. Here's what I can do. Cult- and there's culturally along those lines. Like, I'm gonna I'll get this kid through it because they don't want to deal with that. Everything else. It's you know, it's like your children are the most precious thing to you in most cases. And when they start to do things that you don't expect, you know, you're gonna do. You're gonna make some crazy decisions yourself about trying to. Because as a with parent, it. how do you not start to take that personally? Well, what right. did I do wrong that my kid right. has anxiety, right. or what did I do wrong right. that my kid has mm-hmm. autism? Right. Well, I mean, I just think that, you know, again, this is all goes back to, you know, first, every show we go to, it revolves around accountability and self, you know, self-awareness of what you have. And like, hey, it's here. I mean, I can't, I don't want to blame myself. I can't blame myself as much as you want to. We've got to address this now. Or they're going to end up in the penal system. And then when they're 18, then guess what? I mean, we deal with them now as juveniles. But when they're 18, they don't get the proper care, the proper help. It, it it gets it gets worse. It is well, so the hard. The right. I'm sorry, Sean. I didn't cut you off. That's right. <laughs> I did, we but she really doesn't care. But anyway, I, really, I don't. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you it's just my hair used to be red. My hair used to be quite red. Amber chestnut highlights. But anyway, um, so um, go ahead, Melissa. What were you saying? Yeah, I can't stop thinking of Sean's amber hair now. It's a vision. I'm sure we'll find a picture. Mostly just getting whiter is what it is. He's on one of the covers of one of those romance novels. I look novels. like Tip O'Neill. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, I'm kidding. With a big bulbous nose. Anyway, all right. All right, anyway, go ahead. It's really hard when kids come in and they come in with new charges and they're being charged as an adult. So they'll come back to us for violating their juvenile parole mm-hmm. and they'll serve out their time for that and then we know they're going to be shipped off going to go to Sheridan or I don't know if Did Dixon's have, still open anymore. Prison, I don't yeah, even know if Dixon is still open. Okay. But they're going to go, yeah. Okay. They're going to go hang with the adults. Right. And it, that's really hard. And I think it's hard for them. I don't, I don't think that they can process that when I turn 18, I'm going to have to go serve my right. time for my adult charge. Or when I finish serving my time here for this, because I'm 18, right. I'm going to have to go. And especially with people that you felt you had a good connection with, that you felt like, you know, that you did not felt like, but you did provide a lot of good help and assistance to. And then you see that and it's kind of sad. I mean, we, we related that back to doing drug work when you'd see young people that would be screwing around, you know, start getting involved in like hard drugs, serious drugs, heroin, things like that. And you would just see things and you're like, listen, I'm going to do everything I can to try to let you know where this is going. But we, I mean, you'd see it 
time and time again, it was kind of hard to deal with. Well, and that goes back to Chris's point of accountability. We can do all we can, but we can't work harder than that kid. That kid has to do some work too. And if they're not willing or capable of doing that, it's it's hard to watch. Did you feel like that what you have a lot of so you deal with parents too, mm-hmm. right? Obviously. Did you have I'm sure you did, but you probably ever had, you have times where like you had parents that you, you just they either just wanted to deny that there was a problem or didn't seem like they cared and you're thinking to yourself like, Hey, you gotta be a part of this. Like, I had this parents is, that would never even answer the phone. Really? They would never even answer the phone. Do you think it was more because they didn't want to deal with it or? Or they were off doing whatever doing they're doing. their own illegal activities. Okay. Right. 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 Yeah, because right. then you feel like you're spinning your wheels because it's like, hey, listen, this got to be, everybody's got to be all in on this. I need the parent support in this too. I mean, you're helping them for that little window of time, but they want, they need to be able to be part of that, right? Right. And right. I mean, some of these kids are going back to rural Illinois where it's like mental health deserts. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're yeah, sending just, them back with this plan. Yeah. You know, this is That's just crazy Joe John. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, so once they're in, in the in, in the system, um, you know, because we're looking, I'm looking at some, some statistics, and they're saying almost, almost I think this, this this comes from uh, the state prisons from uh, it's a Bureau of Justice statistics. They're saying uh, 56% of inmates, yeah, yeah, it's 64% in local jail, 56 in the state, and 45 in the federal system have mental health problems of some sort. Oh, I would believe that 100%. I actually just read a, well, this is from 2017, so I don't know when yours is from, but 2017 and upwards of 70% of juvenile offenders were coming in or currently being diagnosed with mental health issues. And again, but mental health issues when they're diagnosed with this, is this anything from something that is mild as, you know, an ADHD, and I don't want to say mild, but to, you know, psychopathic killer? Yes. Okay. All right. So it's either, you know, she's either fixable, you know, for the majority, it can be, you know, whether fixable with medication, therapy, whatever to like, Hey, and you know, I don't want to make light of it that there's just no help. This there's, he's just gotta be locked up. Well, I mean this, because when it's part of your personality, it's how it's part of how you see the world. So it's Mm -hmm. a willingness to learn that about yourself and know how to, to work with that. You know, what do I do if this is how I see the world? so that I can continue to function in the world without forever being incarcerated. But that takes time, and that takes willingness on the part of that individual, along with like a whole treatment plan, medication management, follow through with the family. There are so many different puzzle pieces that need to come together for some of that to be effective. Oh, I just really made that very doom and gloom. Wah, 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 wah. Oh, I got that. Wait, hold, wait, on, hold on, on, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. I got it someplace. Uh, there we go. Yep, Debbie Downer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris loves those sound effects. Yeah, he's he so does. Awesome. He's so right. proud of himself. He can change them, too. He can yeah. change them, too. We've got to rotate in some new sound effects, you know. <laughs> yeah, I've got to look. I've got to look. So, but do you, with that being said, even though, I mean, it is, you know, it's doom and gloom and sound, do you think by with that statement that they actually continue to do criminal behavior because that's where they feel comfortable. Like the whole get out syndrome, like if I get out, I'm in the free world. I can't do that. So I'm going to keep repeating this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would assume that that would be some type of diagnosis too. Well, I, they, I think it's abscond. Is that the right word? 
you know, they'll go to their... I don't know, but, it, but yeah, yeah, it's a big word, so yeah. yeah. So, so right. fancy. So That's a Ferguson word. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I don't know who Ferguson right. is, but That's thank you. That's you? Apparently the two wordsmiths in this conversation are the Irish. Exactly. <laughs> one with red hair and one with Thank not you. red hair. Well, I, you know, the people that are from Ireland listening to the show, are you an Irish? You're a Yank. Well, I descended from the Irish, and so did she. I'm not even actually Irish. I'm Italian and German, but oh I don't. My God. See, again, Debbie Donner, where's the music? <laughs> <laughs> Access. She's an access problem. But anyway, you guys are obviously the smarter the group right now, right. so right. that's no doubt. So, but, uh, but no, seriously, I mean, like, and I don't know what you would call it, but just a repetitive, like, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to commit the first crime I can do so I can go back because that's a structure. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, and part of that is anxiety. I have tremendous anxiety about how I'm going to deal with this or manage this or handle this outside of that structure. I don't know. I, I don't know how to create my own structure. I don't have a support system. So that creates a tremendous amount of anxiety, intolerable for most. So they leave wherever they're at, and then they wind up back with us. So if they're not getting this as a juvenile, they turn 18, then they have no, there's no tools for their own structure. Mm-hmm. Now they're in this system, and I could tell you as an adult, they're, they're based on what I've been through and you know my friends here have been through, there is not enough awarded to adults for their um, psychological behavior. We knew that, you know, that's pretty deterrent. You know, uh, that's pretty prevalent. And then they get out, they don't do this. And then we're dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And then we end up on the news because you're, you, you know, you're wrestling around with some guy or some girl that has a mental issue. And, and that's the way it ends up. That, I mean, they could attack us with a chair and, you know, whatever it is, it ends up, you know, on the news that we're fighting somebody with a mental illness. And trust me, we don't want to, Whereas if they were to get to the help from, and again, funded from the government, whatever, if they were able to get that help, I don't think, I mean, I think it would be, it'd be much, it would be better. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, I, can, I don't know. Why don't they fund that? Why don't they mandate it? I, maybe they think they do. I don't know. And whoever they is that we're talking about, if it's the state, the state, whatever, the, federal, know, the whatever, the federal government, right? they're listening. The government. Nice. <laughs> They definitely well, now. now they found out about my snowplow business. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're welcome. The state adjustment. Like those should have been expunged, but as usual in, in typical Chicago fashion, we were able to dig it up and not get rid of it before it was it was problematic for you. Right. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I think this thing is is like people are. It's so complex and it's so big. It's massive. It's you and know. What like do you decide to fund? Do you right. fund DCFS so that there's right. not? Like, what do you do? Continue like, trauma for kids that are being pulled from their family. Do you fund? The correctional facilities, so they're getting treatment there. Do you fund the aftercare programs so that they're able to fu- like? What do you fund? Right, right. Because right. I, th- I know in this, I mean, I feel like everything here, and at least in this beautiful state, mm-hmm. um, seems to be that people are doing those jobs and those programs. From what I, the feedback I get, that a lot of times they're overwhelmed. I mean, they're just so overwhelmed, overwhelmed right. and underfunded, which is sad because there are people like that that. Can, there are people that would benefit from that and maybe that just a little extra, a little bit more that they could get or if there was a little more money or a little more uh, people, resources, therapists available, some of those people might be able to turn that corner and keep on the right track. You know what I mean? So, you know, to me, it's always like, what can I touch? What part of it can I make the most effect of? You know, if you're going to ask me what I think that should be funded, I think training should be funded better so police officers are trained better to deal with these situations so at least we're not, you know, 
killing these people if we don't right. have to like if we're not we're so afraid of them because we don't know what's going on like again you can't cure all of this there's no way to do that there's not going to be a 100 success rate how do you keep track of stats and all the factors that affect what a circumstance and how it turned out but to me it's like defund the police defund the police defund the police okay well you're defunding training training is what expands our knowledge of you know is this a situation that maybe doesn't need to be resolved with the highest deadly force if not necessarily but i can't really assess that in 15 minutes because you know, it takes people that study what Melissa does pretty much their entire careers to get really good at that. And I have to kind of figure it out under the stress of a tense, rapidly evolving situation in 15 seconds. And I, oh, if I'd have known the guy was bipolar, it was just a bipolar day and I maybe would have come at this differently. We're trying to get better at that as cops, but there's not enough money in the world to put us in those kind of structured, you know, uh, scenario-based training situations. So it's not the first and time. And we are the people it. dealing right. with a lot of people right. with mental right. issues right, right now, right. mental but health issues. Like we are frontline people right. that are dealing with that. Right. And we're and doing I, the best we can and going to training and, you know, we're not going to solve everyone's problems. We can certainly try to help in those crisis situations, offer resources and do the things that we can do. But you start saying taking away more money, where, where else are you going to take it from? But I, I, and, and again, we've talked about this, and this all it just circles back to this that people have to sit down and talk and accept responsibility for what they've done. I mean, you know, as cops, let's be honest, we haven't really trained for this like we should have. And when we we know we know it's out there. We just have. We also said, well, I'm not going to ask for it. It's like right. it's not my job to worry about what I got to be trained on. Right. I know I got a gun. I got to do this, and a taser's cool and stuff like that. But no one like forced any of us in our unit, the unit that I was in with training, to go come up with this plan. It was like it was an idea. You know, they did the perf study. They did all these things that were out there. The cops all throw these terms out. But where the rubber meets the road, no one was willing to kind of dig in and look at the resources that you need to do that. Like, right. You have to try to create those scenarios and situations as much as possible. Like you need to pay actors to come be right. people that can act and do like, if somebody can get an Academy award for like, what is it? A wonderful mind that Russell Crowe got a the beautiful mind. A beautiful mind. Beautiful mind. Like he did a great job of that convincing you that he had that issue, whatever it was. And I don't even know what the diagnosis was. Like, we can pay somebody to do that. I'm not saying like he, we're going to give the guy Academy award when they're done with scenario based training, but somebody at that level is like, Oh, these are, Oh, okay. As opposed to, Oh, okay. We're a bunch of cops training. The cops do the training. The cops are the role players. And the cops are like, oh, I'm just here to complain English, fuck with people and have fun while I'm doing it. And we don't get anything out of it. Like if you were to turn to the, like say the theater world and say, you want to do something to help with this, get tax breaks for it. Send your people as method actors to us to be scenario-based trainers regularly. And basically you're getting something out of it by convincing police officers that you are really that you learn from the process. And then we learn from it as well. Yeah. People, but people don't want to do these two worlds that are so diametrically. Exactly. Closed, don't even want to work together. That's like, exactly hey, this my is point. Societal problem. It, yeah. They want to make it our problem. And, 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 and it shouldn't be just and, Melissa dealing with them in prison and us dragging them off the street to prison. Right. right, and no, not having no. the foundation to say, "Hey, listen, this is right. really, you know, this is what I need," and you know, and then, I mean, for us sitting there going, you know, we just repetition, repetition. For you, Melissa, it's got to be like, okay, I'm taking the time out of my day for fifty six percent of the people, and out of that fifty six, maybe one percent, less than one, really want to get better. Where the rest of them are just going, "Hey, I'm just fucking doing this to like, you know, so I could check the box, move on, do my ninety days or whatever, and get out." Because they know they're going to go back to doing exactly what they were doing to get in. Right. right. But to your point, Sean, that's the thing. Nobody's sitting down and saying, hey, this is a problem. 
everybody's pointing fingers. Well, the police will take care of them. And then when the police are, well, yeah, we have these programs in the, in the jail and, and then they're going to get in front of somebody like Melissa and then she'll talk to them and then, you know, it's all going to be better. You know, I mean, I just, I just don't see why they just don't, just stop pointing fingers. Everybody's got a part in this. Let's fix the thing. Well, we all have to come and sit down at the table together and have these discussions. And, and again, and, and I would, you know, I mean, does it go back all the way to, you know, and I don't mean this, you know, facetiously, I'm just, I just don't know. Like, do, does it all go back to talking to kids about, you know, sex has in babies and babies can, you know, have these issues and you have to deal with these, you have to be ready for these issues. Or I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. But and until people sit down and talk, this is, this is going to be, a, it's going to be a revolving door. And even training. I mean, we could train, we could train, but we can't solve that issue. Mm-hmm. That's, I, I feel like I that's say- at least a step in a, proactive solution focused direction right you know talking about training but to chris's point again i feel like then it's the police officers working harder than the people that they're working for right we can all do this training but if the people that we're doing this training for aren't accountable in some way right Mm -hmm. then maybe part of the funding for that training goes to compassion fatigue and treating compassion fatigue for some of these first responders that have to right. go in right. and deal right. with this over and over and over again. It's like we're trying to blow up the mountain. The mountain's there. The mountain ain't going right. anywhere. If right. mountain blows up, we're all going to die anyway. So, like, there's the mountain. The right. mountain's this. All right, well, how do we deal with the mountain? Right. right. The oh. mountain is this. We're not going to be able to fix this problem because mental health has been an issue for all of us forever, for eons, as we've evolved. Like, to her point, all right, how can I make it better? I can make it better so I don't necessarily... I'm so scared because I've never been prepped for it. That may not mean anything other than I didn't have to kill this person and deal with that trauma. Like little things being fixed. Like, you know, Romaine said in that original show, everybody's looking for this one thing that's going to fix it. And it's going to be maybe little pockets here or there. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, And you have to be assessing it too. I mean, right. There's so many things and processes that we've dealt with over the years and, and it impacts this stuff too, that, it's just like, well, that's just, you know, we just keep doing it that way and we just keep grinding done. it out and, right. and turning people out. And it's like, well, you know, if you do this, then you do that and that's where they go and that's what it is. And nobody ever really takes a look at it and says, you know, what's the success rate with this? And I mean, and Sean was but big into of, that with the training stuff. I mean, well, you kind of, a lot of politicians live with that zero sum. Like we want a zero sum of this. We want it to be wiped out. We want it to be removed. Yeah, we want it to be out. And people like run on that and go, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fix, like we said in the last shows. The problem at the border. We're never going to fix the problem at the border because people want to keep coming in. We're right. never going to fix it. It's never going to be fixed. I don't care. Build all the walls you fucking want. The bottom line is that problem ain't going to be fixed because people want to come here because it's a great place to live. Whether right. you like that thought process of mine or whatever. So let's deal with the reality of that as opposed to the things we can't fix by building mountains and building walls and all these. I look, you know, that might work. That might be cool. But I think let's fix little things that we know we can address, make some progress with it, and just go, this is never going to be a zero-sum game, folks. Right. Never going to be that way. And, and it's you know, we talk about training and stuff like that, and I think, you know, just sitting talking, you know, in, in this type of venue, like when we had this uh, Stefan show about autism, I would never think, you know, uh, and I don't know if you listen to the show, the show or not, Melissa, but mm-hmm. he was talking about um, nonverbal. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this job 20 years and it never occurred to me to pull out my freaking pen and paper and write the words down. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just something. And you, read, that, and you read everything in a pen. <laughs> you told us that. <laughs> you told us already. It's got dollar signs <laughs> next to it. Was, it's like, right, everything's a dollar. Is this guy, and what's yeah. this S is for? Um, it's all in this dream journal. <laughs> right? That's my whiteboard. <laughs> Don't raise that. Um, 
but it's just something as simple as that like just that that's a game changer but i don't think unless people sit down and talk about it and say hey this is the tools you have and again sean i agree with you 100 it's never going to be a zero-sum game but we have to have tools and people have to sit and talk and they have to get the data to let us know what we're up against and you guys too what you're up against and you know focus your attention on people who want to be who want to get helped and then if you want to go through the motions okay i have to sit here because we're going to check this box but you know we may just sit here and stare at each other for 15 minutes or an hour but i'm going to go to the next person and really get you know ingrained in their in in their psyche or whatever so they can get better Mm -hmm. i think you know to sean's point it's just realistic expectations Mm -hmm. you know we're not going to change the world all at one time but what do we realistically expect from this situation? And how do we take one small step at a time and start chipping away at this? It's always going to be there. Right, right. And, and it's in the cyclical. They, you know, they get incarcerated, they come back out, and then, you know, the, the, the jails and the people think that the police are going to take care of it. And the police are like, we're, we're limited. Like, I think every, every resource is limited. And we think the prison should have taken care of. Why is this guy out of prison? Exactly. Why, why didn't they keep him? Why, right. didn't they, why didn't they break him in prison? You know, why didn't they fix it? That's what this is about. And as I kind of researched the show, I mean, it, just, it kind of dawned on me that everybody's resources are limited. Like, we can only go so far. Like, even if there's that one kid or the one adult that we want to go visit every day to make sure that they're on track because you really want them to be helped, you get pulled away for, you know prostitution stings or drug-related insistence or a SWAT call-out or a canine call-out call or you're so busy, you know, you get doing other stuff that yeah. you just can't check on that person. Yeah. And you want, you want to do you it. Want like, like you were talking about, Melissa, with the, like the family environment mm-hmm. with those kids. Everybody that's doing this stuff, they want to do this stuff for people. Like, you know, we wouldn't do this if we didn't want to do it for people. We might joke about things and, you know, whatever, but we want to do it for a reason. And then, but there are other things, you know, you can't, you have a lot coming at you and you have a lot of people to help. And sometimes it's hard to figure out like, how do I spread that around so I can, you know, I want, I've got this person here who I see they have a problem and I know that there's something going on. And, and I'll tell you this for like, from our job, I I'm sure we've all had like a person over the years, like a younger person, maybe even an adult. I know I have because they've been people that I've come back and dealt with later. I mean, there's plenty of bad, but there's lots of good. There's way more good, you know? And you'd have those people that come back and said, hey, you put a little extra time into talking to me or something happened to me, you know, or something I was going through. And, you know, you were somebody that I had an opportunity to talk to or took a little extra time to talk to me or did that little extra effort. And you see those little success stories. And it's like, man, I wish you could do that was easier to do for more people. But the reality of it is we got a lot of people out there to help and you just there's only so much to go around you know yeah well and i would just like to point out as i feel feel obligated as the therapist in the room to point out that when you're stretched that thin for everybody else you often forget about yourself and in order to be there for everybody in order to do for everybody and be mindful of all of these things you very quickly forget that you have to take care of yourself too yeah yeah absolutely yeah well i mean i just think that you know it, it, it it's it has to be there's got to be something better and, and people have to figure out a plan to get this done because, you know, you, you, like Scott said, we all took this job to help people and to see where, you know, to, to, to make sure that they're, they're better in their pillar society and stuff. But, you know, it, it's, you got to sit down and you got to start talking. You have to start moving things forward and there's got to be a way to do this at some point. And again, 
just like Sean said, it's not going to be a, a zero-sum game, but we got to get better because, you know, we are. There are cops out here that are killing these people that don't have to be killed. They're justified. They're justified 100% homicides on the cops' part. But had we gotten ahead of it as a society, I think some could be prevented. Wouldn't you agree, Sean? Yeah, I mean, like we felt people along the way. I mean, and, and you know, you, you're talking to, you know, Melissa, who's seeing our future customers. You know what I mean? Like they're right. current customers for us. Get it? But like on the pro level, like people that are committed to this like she's seeing future customers and like you how many times have we seen it like we know hey we're going to be seeing him for the rest of our lives and All we right. know that the system is just so i don't know and we're we're a complex society we're not a very simple society on that level with resources and things that are available to people and we're failing people that what we i mean i mean we we the system and i think some of it goes back to is like what we demand of our politicians politicians were like we want you to fix this we want you to fix that and like if you're on the politician you know you're, you're on politicians and we should be because everybody is i guess i don't know people are on us cops like you take on everything and sooner or later you get nothing fixed. You get nothing solved. Like, should we be worried about voter fraud? Should we be worried about the crisis at the border? Should we be worried about the drug problems? Should we be about the recidivism right. rate? Should we be worried about race relations? Like, hey, how about just as the greatest society in the history of mankind for people to be able to like transcend things, you know, built in building the freaking Panama Canal and doing all sorts of crazy like construction projects, we can't fix anything anymore because we're trying to fix everything at one time. We pick one thing and say, this is the big issue. You know what I mean? This is the issue. And this is going to be what we all to get together on. But the problem is, is there's so much money and there's so much influence. There's so much lobbying and politics and everything else. Everybody's like, everybody's going to try to fix everything and we get nothing done. You know what I mean? It's like shotgun approach. Right. And, and that doesn't work. It right. doesn't work. It doesn't. And, and at some point you have to pick out what's important. And I think you have to bring people in, you know, our profession, Melissa's profession, you know, and, and, you know, even politicians to figure out where this is all, you know, how this is all going to be solved and, or, or and not solved, but reduced in an effect and where everybody's on the same page. And everybody yeah, because we're doing one thing doesn't mean we're, we're, we're like destroying what you wanted out of life. And that's what the problem is, is like politics becomes, well, if you do this, you're ignoring that. So your, your money and resources isn't going that way. So the lobbyists and the people that are involved in all this are going to fight even harder to get this and to get that. And it's just like, why don't we just as a people stop electing people that just go there to fight with each other about these things and say, yeah, we're all going to come together and work on this. And this sounds like grandiose, crazy sure. ideas, but there's nothing we can't do to fix a problem. But it really isn't as right. Americans. I mean, like we're so multicultural and so honestly wealthy in a lot of ways. And I know that sounds crazy that we can't focus on a single thing. And I say it all the time. Look at how we handled the drug trade and how we handled drug enforcement. We went after all the drugs at one time and none of them really got any better. They got worse, to be honest with you. And now you have the whole pharmaceutical game in the mix of it. So the, the idea of narcotics and things like that, whether it be legal or illegal, has spiraled out of control. Like everything, the war on everything we've decided to fight largely has only gotten worse for whatever it is. The war on poverty, the war on racism, the war. We're constantly told how all of this is never getting any better. Because every day it, there's a new thing. Because there's it's a, a shotgun. It, I think it's a shotgun approach, and I think it's the fact that nobody comes to you with a solution. I think, I mean, even you know, people that work for me or whatever, or if I, you know, if I encounter a problem, I don't think I don't think there's problems. I think there's only solutions. And how do how, how do we fix this? And I think the shotgun approach is not it. I mean, you have to fix things one at a time. Sometimes you get into where you're fixing two or three things because they all intertwine. But I mean, I just think it's it, it's something that you've got to take the step forward to start fixing it some way, somehow. I, don't know, I think like, it's somewhere I would, along the way, 
people need to get comfortable with hearing that their thing that they think is super, super important is not as important right now. And I feel like we have to be able to hear that. Is the war on poverty important? Yes. But right now, we would like to focus our efforts here so we can at least work on one thing effectively versus 400 things ineffectively. Yep, absolutely. Right. And I'd say, and I'd say right now, not just because Melissa's on the show, I'd still say the thing that's most affecting our world on both sides of the coin, whether it be for us or whether it be the people that we serve and have to protect, is mental health. Mental health is a thing that we can, you know, like we tried one thing early on, and in the fifties and sixties, we saw those sanitariums and how bad they were. Now we're trying the idea of like, all right, well, these folks should be able to be released and get treatment. They are. They shouldn't be discriminated against because they have mental illness. Now we need to progress to the point where we say, all right, we have worked our way through all of these problems. Democracy, as we know it, didn't happen overnight. It right. took hundreds of years of, you know thousands of years if you really get back with the greeks trying democracy and then the the romans and then you know all the things and the machinations and then where the french dabbled with it with democracy and then what it became ours in our world and it's still progressing and going where it needs to be and it's a republic not a democracy we're going to think like we're going to fix these things in 50 years where this is going to take forever and we should be patient about it and focus on staying the course to get this stuff right the biggest issue facing our society right now is mental health. Right. And everybody wants to says. And I mean, every, I, that to me, that's the thing we should all be very concerned about. And I think everybody in wants, the midst of a crisis of COVID. Right. But I think everybody wants a quick fix too. Like, right. yeah, right. Junior's not, not focused. So give them, you know, give them Ritalin. Yeah. No, right. well, that's, I don't right. think that that's the right. case. I think they need to they right. say, Hey, Hey, Melissa, you know, Junior's not doing this, not doing it. It could be, a, it could be something, you know, simple that, that he, he or she just has to talk about. But I, it, you know, Sean just made a great point about staying the course, and this is not going to be a quick fix. And the same thing, it's mental health is the same thing. I get that you're suffering and you don't feel good and it's terrible and it's impacting your life and you just want relief. I get it. But I need you to stay the course with me. I need you to have some patience in what this process is going to look like because it's not going to be fixed overnight. It took you however many years to build this up until you came into my office. It's not going to be a week and it's all going to be gone. We've right. got 20 some years of you dealing with this, experiencing this, hiding this. We're going to need yeah. some patience. Yeah, Don't rush and it. The, right. Yeah. On right. the mental health level and on the, you know, to a bigger scope of some of these things we've been discussing today, it it's just going to take some time and helping you cope with the frustration of needing that patience, I think is just as important a part as dealing with the core issue, right, right. I, I, and I just, it's, it's, it's a big issue, and I just think people need to accept their part and just figure out what we can do to start moving forward. Because what we're doing now, obviously, just isn't working. And you keep doing the same thing over and over and over, you're going to get the same results. What we wanted to point out today, though, I think we did. I think we did a good job with that. I mean, we're leaving this all gloom and doom like we've been, oh, whatever. There's no options. There's no future here. Um, We wanted to point out to the fact that the mental health-related issues aren't just between cops and people on the street. It's the entire system is being Mm -hmm. affected by it. And the effect and the way – and and. It, the system is overburdened with the way we're dealing with it. And, you know, everybody's trying to help, but it just at times just doesn't seem like it's a unified exactly. thing in that. But people are moving in that direction to get there. Things are different with mental health than they were when we first started dealing with mental health patients. Now doctors can, you know, 
create orders. And now that has to be examined by the courts as like, you know, can a police officer take me into custody and violate my fourth amendment rights based upon the orders of a doctor who's not unseen state by state that's being handled differently. All of these things, we just got to keep pounding around on this workout best practice because one mental health isn't going to go away. It's always going to be a factor of the human condition. Right. The best way to effectively deal with it in a society like ours, it's so diverse and so big and so many different cultures and so many different, like you talked about, Chris, the guys like, yeah, he'll be done with it by m Monday. You know what I mean? Right. His, his issues, all of those different things factor why it's such an issue in the United States. Right. We're not a multicultural country to be a country this size because we've thrown our doors open as we always should for so many different types of people that, you know, ethnicity, you know, race, culture, creed. Does, mental health doesn't give a shit about any of that stuff. Right. But all of us are trying to deal with it. And now these things are becoming politicized, like we talked in the past. Like the way the people did this, the people did the police did this to that guy, not because they were confused about what diagnosis he, they did it because he was black. Right. Like we can't win. We're our own worst enemies right. in this situation. And then the cops at the same time have to throw their arms open and go, "Hey, things got to change. It's different. I can't just keep saying, oh, fuck it. I do what I do, and you listen yeah. to me.' Like right. we got to get better about all right. of this stuff." And this is the slow drumbeat of, you know, being in government and government has no competition. Right. You know and what I mean? I, government has no competition. And they don't. Like if and, there's a business and, model, we would be a bad business model. Oh, dude, I can't. When I, when I see, when I see governments and, you know, we're going through stuff, I'm like, how do they survive? Like, and, and the only way they survive is because there's the influx tax of tax dollars. dollars. That's yeah. it. Because I would mean, take, I would be bankrupt, yeah. bankrupt, right. bankrupt for sure. But when you can run up money, print it, funny money. Right. Using the Fed to do that. I know I'm not getting all tangential here. I get it again. No, no, not at all. No, right. Not at all. The bottom line is, <laughs> buy like, gold, you know, buy gold. No. The, 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 the trench workers, on this <laughs> nurses, social workers, cops, firefighters, medics, they're the trench workers that have to deal with, we've thrown trillions of dollars at this process and we're not getting the results out of it that we need because the system is completely overburdened. You can talk about a million things, but let's focus on what it is and realize this thing going to get fixed overnight. Right. Be patient, folks. We got to work. That's Our right. grandkids may see the bit, you know, they may reap the benefits of this. We'll be dead by the time it's gone, but at least we've tried. Right. We've we tried. Yeah, we put it, we put it in motion of some sort. I live in South Carolina because hundreds and hundreds of years ago, whether you agree with this or not, people came from Europe and said, Hey, let's start something new over there. Now it's not been a perfect ride. We've made plenty of mistakes in the way, but I still tell you what, most of the people in the world point to us and say, at least I've got another place to go where I could be freer. Right. We run out of that in here in the United States. We got nothing left. We got, we got left. to stay with it, folks. That's our role. That's, That's it. What we got to do. We got to hand that, it off to better, better than we found it. Exactly. You know, make each relationship or each, each scenario better than you found it. So on that note, um, thank you everybody for listening. And this is, this is always a tough subject, mental health, because you know, there's so many people I think that have to be involved to make this thing work and to get it better. Um, I just think it's a matter of sitting down, talking, you know, taking hold of your accountability or your stage accountability or whatever and, and trying to move forward so again thank you melissa for being here a pleasure. resident therapist and resident mm -hmm. therapist and we're gonna have a, we're gonna back, have a we need your help yeah. <laughs> we need your help i got you i got your back man. don't you worry you're not in this alone right um so go ahead and give your plug you know where they can get a hold of you willowtree-therapy.com Okay, and then uh, that's a general email. So if you want to speak to Melissa uh, specifically, make sure you mention her in the email. And uh, again, if there's any questions for us or something you want us to talk about or dig in further and get you some more information, you could email us at 3copstalk at gmail.com. That's a number 3, copstalk at gmail.com, or go to our website, which is 3 copstalk 
dot com the number three cops talk uh, dot com and also as uh, in every show we ask that you go to where you listen to your podcast um, download or subscribe leave a rating review we're a small venue and we're trying to grow this so we can get uh, more people involved so we can you know make our little corner of the world a little bit better place thank you everybody and have a great weekend <laughs>